We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Napa A Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Hey, it's Flo, and this is my impression of a Hollywood acceptance speech. I'm so surprised. I had no idea. I'm not even prepared. Um, okay. <clears throat> I'd like to thank the progressive discounts that got me here. Safe driver, multi-car, paid in full multi-policy. This is just such a big moment. And did I mention that I'm surprised? With all kinds of discounts, Progressive helps you save. Oh, oh, oh. and I want to thank my agent and all my discounts agents because we all have the same agent. Don't start the music! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code Rotowire when you deposit on DraftKings 
That'll get you a free contest entry today. It is Monday, October 12th, 2015. Week 5 in the NFL has just about wrapped up. San Diego at Pittsburgh is the final Monday night game of the week. I'm Nick Whalen, joined as I always am on Mondays by RotoWire's Derek Van Riper. Derek, how's your weekend? Oh, I tried a new thing this weekend, and uh, well, it started off great. I had the steak dinner from the baseball league on Saturday night. I won the league. I was the recipient of a free steak dinner, drinks, appetizers, fourteen ounce fillet, uh, and a dessert too. So I, I went. I mean, I went ham at the dinner. Like I, I went hard at this. Well, not thing. literally though, right? Not literally ham. I went steak, but. I still, I, I, I feel like I ate more in that meal than I've ever eaten in my life. Like I, I went scallops for an appetizer, shared one scallop out of three. Right, I mean, generously offered to the rest of the table. Everyone mostly oh, declined. Guy, yeah. Right, so ate that. That came on a bed of mashed potatoes, oh, which I ate, of course. Like why wouldn't I? Uh, got soup instead of salad to save room. Got the fourteen ounce fillet. Ate all of that. Got a piece of carrot cake for dessert. Of course, ate all that. You know when you go out for, for food anywhere now, desserts are huge. Like a dessert's not just like a normal piece of cake. That if you like, if, if you were at home and, and your mother had made a cake, she'd cut it into like a human sized piece. What you get when you go out to a restaurant when you order a piece of cake is an entire cake. You know, it's insane. So I, I probably ate five pounds of food at this dinner. And, you know, I felt great afterwards, and I decided I, I got to make some changes in my life because I can't go on doing this all the time. Keep winning leagues and having to eat all this food. I just can't keep going on eating these 14-ounce fillets without having something bad happen. So my wife suggested that we, uh, we change things up at home. We've, we've never been able to really figure out how to go to the gym on the same schedule. My schedule's kind of quirky working here. She works in academia, so she's got to study a lot at night. And then what happens is we'll say, well, let's go to the gym at 8 o'clock tonight or 9 o'clock tonight. One of us ends up at work or I'm coaching or she's studying. The other person doesn't go and then both people don't go. So it's a disaster. And then you eat 14-ounce fillets, start to get the, uh, the old Wisconsin gut. Uh, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm fighting that. And I'm fighting that now by getting up like a lunatic at 6 a.m. Oh. and going to the gym first thing when I wake up. We decided that was the only time where if we were going to do this together – we had to go then. So I'm in day one of that today. Like I, I got the workout in already. I'm probably going to black out during this podcast from <laughs> fatigue. Um, and, I, and I ran Sunday too. So I like ran Sunday night and I lifted this morning. So I'm going to crash hard when I crash. Probably going to bed at 6 o'clock tonight. Probably going to miss Monday Night Football. Going to have to like watch it in the morning before my workout or something. So we'll see if this, if this goes well. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried working out early in the morning? I did in high school only. Um, did you have to, though? We didn't have to, but it was kind of one of those, you know, suggested workouts. You know, one of the coaches would be there kind of opening up the weight room before school. And it was kind of like, a, you know, you definitely didn't have to be there. But if you are there, it certainly helps your chances of, you know, being a starter or whatever it may sure. be. So, and the other thing was like, you know, back then, this is, I think this was maybe freshman, sophomore year, and I didn't get my driver's license because I have a really late birthday till junior year. So that was like about the only time I could lift if I wanted. So didn't really have the, the flexibility of a 24-hour gym or anything like that. So just kind of had to get there when we could. But I don't think I could ever go back to that. It's, it's not – I mean, I'm sure the first day is probably the worst because I, I wasn't wired to get up at 6 a.m. I've been sleeping until like 8. So it's a pretty big difference and. Having having like terrible. I mean, having run yesterday too, I was even more tired when I woke up this morning. So I felt like crap getting through it. But I I, mm-hmm. I got out. Uh, we'll see how it goes. 
hopefully this is the start of a, a new healthier DVR. Uh, hopefully it means better things for the pod, but you're probably going to have to really uh, carry, just carry me along here today because I'm going to be trash by the time this thing's over. Yeah, and I think I'm willing to do that at least for a week. But that, that dinner sounds great. Um, I know maybe I'll have to get into the steak league at some point. Maybe not baseball. The uh, football one, though? The football one I would love to get into at some point. You could start a hoops one. There, there's no hoops steak league. You could make all the rules. Just be me, yeah. And then just, 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 just like you against like two or three interns that you know right, you can and then beat. Just make and then them buy me steaks. <laughs> right, exactly. But no, that meal sounds great. I've always been a strong proponent. I know you mentioned you had mashed potatoes. I've always been a proponent of mashed potatoes as a condiment. I think they should be widely available mm. right up there with ketchup, mustard, onions. Like you should just be able to – there should just be a tray of mashed potatoes that you can scoop to use as like a dip for your fries. Uh, you can spread them on like a burger. <laughs> Dipping fries into potatoes. That's an interesting yeah. idea. Well, this, yeah, this was the bed that the scallops came on. The, the crazy thing too is I, I got more potatoes as a side. I got a hash brown side with my steak. I'm telling you, I, I ate, sounds incredible. I, I mean, it was an amazing meal, but I, I think I, I seriously think I ate five thousand calories. Like I, it was, it, it was like I'm sure I, it was like a D1 college football player meal, and I, I felt like really Are you proud a D1 of myself. No, okay. not yet. Full disclosure. Not yet. But I think these early morning workouts will get me on the right track. Um, but what did you do this weekend? I saw a tweet. You were trying to find hams in Chicago. Did that that pay off for you? It did not pay off. Uh, like you said, I was in Chicago. I had to do some work with 120 Sports, uh, a nice affiliate site of RotoWire. Um, just working on some NBA stuff with them. So that was on Thursday. Kind of made it a little bit of a long weekend. Uh, it worked from Chicago it's remotely on Friday. Hung out, watched baseball. Hung out with my friend, a uh, couple friends, a couple college friends, uh, live in Chicago now. But like you said, yeah, I was not able to find hams. I went mm. to a local liquor store. The friend that I stayed with lives right in Wrigleyville, just, you know, could see Wrigley Field from his place. So that was nice. Obviously, pretty good Cubs, location. The Cubs were on the road yeah. uh, over the weekend, which, you know, was a little bit of a letdown, but still a cool atmosphere to be a part of watching the game and stuff. Uh, but I went to a liquor store around there and I asked, you know, do you have hams? Because yeah, I didn't see it, I didn't know if you know. Sometimes they have like a special vault where they behind behind the like counter. Kind of, you have to give them a couple of winks and like a password, and then they'll let you know where it is. Yeah, uh, but that wasn't the case here. And I asked the the older gentleman who who was at the cashier desk and appeared to be running the place. You know, do you have hams? And he just kind of gave me a a genuine laugh and, and said, uh, "Oh no, oh no, maybe if you came here 15 years ago, I would have had that." So. I think I don't know. Was I just born too late? Did I miss the peak of hams as a as a popular drink? I think you did. I I forget where I was. I, I was somewhere. Maybe it was, either, it was like a garage sale, or maybe I was wandering through an Seems antique like store. One of those two things. And I saw I saw a ham sign, and I saw some glasses too. And that stuff is always like forty plus years old. I mean, the, their peak was clearly like Supper Club, Wisconsin, right? I mean, it was like. The wood paneling, the 65 to 75 range probably was the ham's peak in this state. And I think it, it really hung on until the late 80s at best as a kind of a, a niche beer that people would drink around here. And I think ever since then, it's just really taken a dive. But hey, the, the, the good, the finer establishments in this state do carry it. There's a place called the Old Fashioned. I highly recommend it. I don't own it. I have no, I have no stake in this business. It's just really good, uh, and everything there is all about Wisconsin. All the food is sourced from Wisconsin. The beer, the liquor, all of it is made here, and, and they have they have a cooler full of hams available for you, among many other beers. I mean, they've got probably fifty beers on tap from from all over the place uh, in this great state. So. Hams is still available where it needs to be, but I think once you get more than like 30 miles past the border, 
you're very unlikely to find it. It's it's an endangered species, and I think you know conservationists like myself are doing our best to to keep it around. But we'll see what we can do. I know the Bucks are looking for a new uh, sponsorship for their arena. I think the Ham Center, the Ham Center, the yes, Ham Center would uh, would be quite appropriate. I, I'm not sure that. That's in the works, probably not, but you never know. I think that'd be the way to kind of to get the name back out there and, and then, you know, get Hams kind of reasserted on the map. All right, let's get into the, uh, the games from Week 5 on Sunday. 12 games to recap, four teams on by, Carolina, Minnesota, the Jets, and the Dolphins. Both of those teams played in London last week. Uh, we had a Thursday night game, Matt Hasselbeck. Led the Colts to another victory over another AFC South opponent. This time it was the Texans. Uh, and like we said, we have Monday Night Football, the final game of Week 5. That's Pittsburgh and San Diego. And that comes to us tonight from San Diego. It's a 7.30 p.m. Central kickoff. Just before we get into breaking down all these games, just a reminder that the pod is available on iTunes. It's also available on Stitcher. Um, all of our RotoWire podcasts are available on both of those mediums. You can also download them and stream them from the RotoWire website. Just go to rotowire.com slash podcast and you'll see all of the options there. We'll start in uh, we'll start in Kansas City, this game was, and the Chiefs are now one in four all of a sudden. A team that maybe wasn't a Super Bowl contender to start the year, but was definitely a dark horse playoff contender after just missing out in 2014. They've lost four in a row. They lose to the Bears 18-17. to The Bears all of a sudden have won two straight. They're kind of out of the cellar after a, dis- excuse me, a disastrous start uh, in the NFC North. The biggest loss for this one you know, outside of the actual score for Kansas City is Jamal Charles. He goes down in the second half uh, with a knee injury. Wasn't, wasn't a gruesome knee injury, thankfully, for, for us viewers. It was nothing like we saw with Nick Chubb, um, the Georgia running back, on Saturday. We don't, we don't have to get into the details of that, but... Not a video you want to watch if you're squeamish at all, but it sounds like Charles has probably torn his ACL. He's going back for more tests on Sunday and Monday. The team's yet to confirm that, but at this point it looks like Kansas City is going to be without Charles the rest of the year. Just kind of a weird play. He took the handoff up the middle uh, out of a single back set. looked like he was going to cut on that right knee, and it, it just kind of gave out on him, but it really didn't buckle or you know, kind of bend too awkwardly to the point that on live TV it didn't look like you know, he had gone down with a major injury. Yeah, I mean, in real time especially, I don't think you would have necessarily thought anything was wrong, but as you kind of looked at it closely in the replay, you could see that it did have some some bend that was unnatural, uh, just kind of uh, giving out, hyperextending to the inside a bit, and hopefully it's one of those things that doesn't significantly hamper Charles long-term. This is a guy that's already torn an ACL before in his left knee, uh, so it's going to be really interesting for me to see if he can get back and, and still be the dynamic player that we've seen really throughout his career. I mean, this is a devastating blow for the Chiefs, a game that they were on the verge of, of winning. They really seemed like they were in control. It was 17-6 at the end of the third quarter. The Bears rallying behind Marlboro Red, Jay Cutler, getting those 12 points in the fourth quarter to win this game 18-17. So I think the big question for the short term and for the rest of the season, at least, for the Chiefs is, is it really Sharkandrick West over Nile Davis, or do they work in some kind of timeshare? I have to think that West is actually available in a good number of leagues because most of the leagues I've been in this year that uh, have handcuffs rostered, Davis is already scooped up, but West, I think, is pretty freely available. 
Yeah, I think it might take people a couple of days or even a week or two to realize that this might end up being you know, 60-40 in favor of Trekandrick West. So definitely a guy that if you have an extra roster spot, if you have a guy who's, who's injured, somebody who's underperforming, somebody who's on by that you were thinking about cutting bait with anyway, now might be the time to go and grab Trekandrick West. I would imagine his ownership has to be extremely low right now, um, and obviously that'll change uh, you know, once waivers pass and once fab bids are in in advance of week six. But Jay Cutler, a pretty solid game. 26 of 45, 252 yards, two touchdowns. First game this season without an interception. Obviously, that's huge. The Bears were down 17 to 3 to start the fourth quarter in this game. And Jay Cutler pretty much led them back, uh, you know, not single handedly, but um, a couple nice throws down the stretch one to Marcus Wilson, one to Matt Forte. That one with just 18 seconds left. He. Cutler fumbled the snap, dropped the ball on the ground, picked it up like just about to be hit, and just kind of in typical Cutler fashion, sidearm sling, just perfect into the hands of Matt Forte in the, in the left side of the end zone. So some very impressive throws from Cutler, some throws that we've seen time and time again from him. But the big difference was he was just able to limit mistakes. He did fumble into the end zone for, for the Chiefs' first touchdown of the game on Chicago's second possession. Um, but other than that, one of the better games that we've seen from Cutler in a while. Is there anyone on this planet who can play quarterback as effectively as Jay Cutler does with a SIG hanging out of his mouth? Like, as he fumbled that ball in the fourth quarter, before he picked it up, you knew he took a long drag on his cigarette right. and then picked the ball up and flipped it The NFL hasn't done anything about this. They, they just don't care. Helmet. Yeah, yeah it's, there's it's con- just... guys, guys constantly lighting up on the right. field and... No one seems to care. No, we haven't seen anything like it. I, I don't think there's anybody in the league that can match him at this point. Uh, I think late career Brett Favre, had he picked up smoking on the field, might have been able to rival Cutler. Um, but, you know, that didn't happen. So it's hard to, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess. But I think Cutler is, is, is kind of the guy you look to as far as quarterback smoking cigarettes on the field. Alex Smith, the guy who doesn't smoke cigarettes while he plays football, 16 of 30, 181 yards, a touchdown for him. The Chiefs lined up for a 66-yard field goal. Um, as time expired in this one at the end of regulation. I don't know if you were able to catch this. I think I'd, I flipped it on because right as this one was ending, the Packers game um, you know, was in hand. I, th- I think Green Bay was starting to, to go into victory formation. And the Chiefs started their drive deep in their own territory. Uh, of course, the Bears defense lets up like a 40-yard completion. So they're, they're at the 48-yard line with, I think, six seconds left on the clock. They get a nice quick out to Jeremy Macklin. Um, and they ended up ruling it a catch. So the ball was marked at a right about, I think, would have been the 38, 37-yard line. So, you know, 57, 56-yard field goal, which is much more makeable than 66, obviously. Um, and then the ruling is challenged but by the booth, obviously, being under two minutes. Turns out Jeremy Macklin didn't get his foot in. It was extremely, extremely close. Um, he had one foot down, clearly. One could not quite drag the right foot. Um, so obviously the ball has moved back to the 48. And you know, I was watching this game with a couple friends, and we were debating, you know, it's like, do you try the 66-yarder? Do you just kind of throw one into the end zone at this point? Cairo Santos was way short. The ball landed. It hit the goal line. Um, and it was kind of one of the situations where I think he just tried to kick it as hard as he could. And, like, you could just tell as soon as it came off his foot, it was just kind of a dead kick and flopping all over the place. And like I said, I mean, it was a good 10 yards short. Um, but, I mean, if, if you're the Chiefs in that situation, if you're any team, would you rather attempt a 66-yarder or would you just chuck one into the end zone and pray for the best? I'd chuck it into the end zone, although I think personnel maybe is a factor there. Do you think Alex Smith can throw it that far? Do you think <laughs> they have – We have to see any evidence of that. I mean, do you, have a, do you have a big receiver that you like to go up and win a jump ball? Not really. I mean, Macklin's a little bit smaller, uh, for at least for a number one receiver. Maybe Travis Kelsey could go do it. He's pretty big, but – 
that's pretty much it. You don't have yeah. that that six four six five guy that you can throw down there and hope for the best. You don't have a Jalen Strong as uh, as the Texans utilize for that hail mary on Thursday night. I still I'm still kind of reeling from that that Jalen Strong was targeted twice and he scored twice, but Keith Mumphrey was targeted eight times, which doesn't make any sense they, at they all. Counted that as a target, the hail mary. He caught it. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It's still te- if, you, if you get a catch, you get a target. It's yeah, just that's, that's that's fair. Which is it's kind of weird, I guess. Is that, yeah, I guess I never really thought of it like that. So, like, you watch the Green Bay game, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, Benny Cunningham catch. I think it was in the second quarter off a tip. Do you know what I'm talking about? It yeah, it, it shouldn't. At the last second, and yeah. grabbed it off a tip. Like, would that count as a target for Cunningham, or was that a target for the receiver whose hands it hit? You know, I think. They don't count it correctly. In in my mind, it would be the guy that was originally targeted who tipped it, right. and there'd be a catch without a target for Cunningham. But I don't think they keep the stats that way. I think if you catch the ball, you get the target. Seems like a little. I feel like that's not what a target is, but all right, that works. Seems seems like a little hole in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so TDs for Marcus Wilson receiving touchdown from Matt Forte in this one for Chicago. Jeremy Macklin eight catches, eighty five yards. Pretty quiet day. For Travis Kelsey, just three catches and 35 yards for him. Jaguars 31, Buccaneers 38. The Jaguars drop to 1-4. and four. Tampa moves to 2-3. and three. This might have been Blake Bortles' best game as a pro. So you know, from a Jags fan perspective, if that's the one positive takeaway, um, then, you know, then, then that's kind of what I have to deal with. 22 of 33, 303 yards, four touchdowns, did have one pick. Jameis Winston a little bit more conservative. 13 of 19, 209 yards, one touchdown for him. Not a big day from TJ Yeldon, just 32 yards on 11 carries. Did have a nice reception touchdown uh, late in this one. Alan Hearns, 116 yards exactly for the second week in a row. That's five catches for him. Had another touchdown. He's now seventh in the league in receiving yards through five weeks. Obviously, there's one game still to go, so that could change, but definitely going to end up in the top 10. So probably not something a lot of people saw coming there. I'm having a hard time kind of deciding between him and Alan Robinson on a week-to-week basis. Is there really one guy that you favor in that matchup? I like Robinson more because I, I think even though he draws opposing teams better corners, I think he's the more dynamic player. He's got a little more speed to go with that size. I think he's got better hands. I think those factors are enough to put Robinson ahead of Hearns in the rankings. I think you can make a case for Alan Hearns being an underrated player, though. I mean, caught five of the six targets for the 116 yards and a score in this one. TJ Yeldon left this game with a groin injury, too. So we'll see if that turns into anything serious. And if it does, you know, what do they do? Does Tabinbo Gunnar Gerhardt actually get a chance to, to start? Or do they go Bernard Pierce? What, what are their options? Denard, is, is he still banged up? Denard's like, still banged up. I think he missed his third straight game this week with a knee sprain. Sounds like he still could be a couple weeks out. So I think if Denard Robinson's healthy, he's probably the guy they look to Bernard Pierce had two carries in this one Gerhardt just one and Corey Grant had two I don't think Corey Grant's gonna be seeing the ball much um I don't know if you had a chance to check out the lowlights from this game but Jacksonville uh was up 24 to 23 in the third quarter they ran a a quick toss play to Corey Grant who promptly fumbled the ball uh this was at about the Jacksonville 15 and Tampa Bay had a quick scoop and score and that was really the difference in this one that kind of sucked the life out of Jacksonville they punched on their next possession Tampa Bay came down made it a two-score game and, and from there on it was pretty much over um, but not a lot to like in this in this Jacksonville backfield especially if TJ Yeldon does miss any time I don't think it's really worth rostering any of those guys to be honest I think you could do better uh, at just about any backfield in the league Big week from Doug Martin, three total touchdowns, three catches for 35 yards and a touchdown, 
24 carries for 123 yards and two touchdowns. So a little bit of a, of a bounce back week for him, validating some ownership there. Bernard Pierce, uh, I don't know if you've seen this play. This was kind of widely distributed on the dead spins, the Bleacher Reports of the world. Um, Buccaneers are returning a punt. Bernard Pierce is on the Jaguars punt team. Bernard Pierce is blocking for the Buccaneers. This happened? This happened. Oh, yeah. Um, Wow. I don't know. I'm sure you just just type in Bernard Pierce, and I'm sure it's the only thing that will come up. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of where the Jags are right now. Uh, It's it's almost a Florida-on-Florida situation from college football a couple of years ago maybe not quite that bad um but basically he's he like sealed off a running lane for a a long punt return i think it was in the third or, or early fourth quarter um and bobby rainey was able to go 58 yards due in part to that to a huge bernard pierce block um i don't know this this jacksonville team is in shambles I think Gus Bradley is very close to being on his way out, and it wouldn't shock me if this is the week that that honestly ends up happening. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm, I've got video of this <laughs> this play. What on earth is he do? What is he doing? I think he just he, must have thought he, he was on. He, the for, he forgot team. which team he was on, like which uniform he was wearing. That that, oh yeah, that happens. Con- thing, I mean, con- Tampa Bay and Jacksonville—they're close, so you could see it. <laughs> yeah, the, the teal of the the UFL uniform <laughs> of the Bucks; those look pretty similar. Uh, I mean. Man, what a what a disaster! I, I what what next? Like what what's the next thing they're gonna do? Well, they got the Texans next week. Um, so the line right there, the line on that one, excuse me, is even right now. Uh, so that, I mean, it's gonna be another shootout. Three straight weeks. They get Hasselbeck last week. They get the Bucks this you know, on Sunday, and now the Texans. So I think if they if they don't fire Gus Bradley this week, and then they go and lose to Houston next week, he has to be out. I mean, this is the easiest part of their schedule and they've pretty much blown it so what was supposed to be you know not a playoff year for Jacksonville by any means but uh you know optimistic six seven win season has the looks of another uh three or four win season if that uh, and things really haven't changed much in Duval that's pretty unfortunate you know I, I only hope for good things for Duval and you know that, Doug Martin just going off yesterday three TDs in total also had one as a pass catcher too um, what's the deal with Mike Evans I mean is James Winston just that bad where Mike Evans can't be productive? He was targeted five times. They threw it 19 times as a team. So maybe that's part of that's it. His game it, flow is just he had Doug Martin running so well. Even Charles Sims had 12 carries for 51 yards. But I just, I'm just i so disappointed. I had Evans going in my millionaire maker lineup. Probably going to be the first week all season where I don't get any sort of cash back at all. Uh, I just don't know what to make of him at this point. I don't have him in any of my season-long leagues either just because – the price was a little high. He had the hamstring injury. Wasn't sure how quickly the offense would come together. But overall, I felt like if Tampa Bay, even if they were a bad team, they'd still find a way to get Mike Evans the ball 10-plus times or at least 10-plus targets each week. Seven, eight catches with that. I mean, this is a guy that has size, speed, ideal red zone target. They don't have Austin Safarian Jenkins right now, so they're playing with one fewer weapon. But you know, three for 41 from Evans and the one for 14 from Vincent Jackson on a day where Jameis threw for 209 yards. Just it's baffling. Right, and it's not a very good Jacksonville secondary either. And what's more concerning with Evans, I think, is the lack of targets. I think you can live with a player being targeted a bunch and only maybe ending up with a couple catches for whatever reason, you know, blanket coverage or just, you know, bad quarterbacking in this case. But yeah, just five targets this week, just eight targets last week. Did have 17 targets in week two. And I think that's a number that's a little bit high and probably unsustainable, but I think you want to see Mike Evans in that 10 to 12 range on a week to week basis. And yeah, five, I agree. is just way too low uh, long of 17 and 
like I said, a very inexperienced Jacksonville secondary that you'd think a guy like Mike Evans would be able to take advantage of. That wasn't the case, but you know, a win for Tampa Bay, and, and they moved to 2-3. and three. The St. Louis Rams, 10. The Green Bay Packers, 24. Disastrous day for Nick Foles against what's all of a sudden a very good Green Bay defense. Uh, Green Bay defense that's kind of carried this team over the last couple weeks. Uh, Foles, 11 of 30, 141 yards, one touchdown, four interceptions. Um, just an ugly game really all around from him. Sacked three times, pretty much under constant pressure in that first half. Clay Matthews now up to four and a half sacks through five weeks quietly mounting a, a possible defensive player of the year case I think yeah it seems like a defense as a whole has improved it's a good thing too because the offense actually sputtered quite a bit in this one Aaron Rodgers was picked off a couple of times uh, one was a route that got jumped the other was a deflection ball batted at the line I think the, the the second of the two interceptions was the the one where the route got jumped that was actually Rodgers fault that was a bad that throw. was that was Rodgers fault and this was a weird game I don't you know it's hard to, to kind of diagnose maybe what the issue was but Rodgers it didn't seem as locked in as normal and you don't see him miss a throw uh, like he did on that second pick the first one was tipped at the line by Chris Long and James Laurinaitis made a diving catch you know it's the typical the typical way that Aaron Rodgers seems to be picked off, you know, plays like that. The second one, I thought they were going to overturn. It I was, thought they were it too. Was yeah, really like bobbled. Yeah, um, and ball uh, moved when it hit the ground. Right, it's one of those catches that, as a fan, you'd like to say that's a catch, but based on what we've seen over the last couple of years with Des Bryant and you know so many receivers and and tight ends over the past couple of years, it's a play that you thought would for sure be overturned. They did end up taking a look at it, right, because it was a change of possession. Mm-hmm. The booth looked at it and. It was a quick review. I know that's for sure. Yeah, it seemed it like St. Louis, it. St. Louis was out there and running a play, and yeah, it. it I, it, I thought it was a clear overturn, and and that wasn't the case. So two picks for Rodgers, two touchdowns, nineteen of thirty, two hundred forty-one yards. Probably should have finished with three touchdowns. Richard Rodgers had a drop oh, late in this bad game drop. On, a, on a crossing route at about the ten-yard line, and he pretty much could have walked in for a score uh, had he been able to haul that one in. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's nothing to worry about with Aaron Rodgers, right? It's second-worst QBR of the last two seasons. He turned in a 12.4 in that loss to Buffalo last year, if you remember that, that game. Was a, that was a that bad was game. The, that might be the ugliest Packers game I can remember uh, ever watching. Just couldn't do anything on offense. But had a QBR of 41.1 on Sunday. Not great. He still was Green Bay's leading rusher. Eight carries, 39 yards. So, from a fantasy perspective, that's kind of nice maybe to compensate for the, the points you lose on the interceptions. But if you're Green Bay, I don't think you want Aaron Rodgers being your leading rusher most weeks. No, I mean, at St. Louis, I think it does have a legitimately good defense, which is probably part of, of the issue. I think the other problem for the Packers right now is they're having some trouble on the offensive line. TJ Lang, one of their starting guards, left this game with an injury. He did not return. Uh, we saw some Don Barclay at guard. Uh, Don Barclay anywhere on that line usually is a, a source of leaks. So, that's an issue, but I think St. Louis actually does have a good defense. Todd Gurley looked great in this game. 30 carries he's, for 159 yards. Like, yeah, he's the real deal. He's elite. Like He's already an elite back, and it's it's been three games, and he hadn't torn ACL less than a year ago, which is just, what's next? Like What's he going to do in 2016, 2017? Right. I think they've almost already been validated for taking him as high as they did at number 10, and it wasn't a controversial pick, but you know they had... Um, you know they had a decent stable of backs there. Trey Mason had shown some things near the end of last season. It was it was a little bit surprising to see them grab Todd Gurley at number ten. But yeah, he's looked great over the last couple of weeks after getting off to a little bit of a slow start in week three when he was still kind of getting integrated. Uh, but yeah, he finished with 159 yards, 30 carries, a long of 55. Eddie Lacy just 13 carries for 27 yards, no touchdowns there, just a long of eight yards. John Kuhn, one carry, three yards. Probably going to want to stay away from him. Uh, in most leagues James Jones got in the end zone again this was one that was reviewed and overturned um, 
when he was initially ruled out at the one, I should say, was reviewed and, and overturned into a touchdown. Ty Montgomery on Green Bay's first drive got into the end zone. Looked like a blown coverage. I was listening to it on the radio at yeah, that point. Yeah, the very uh, beginning of the game, same thing. Right. I, I missed the first couple series, yeah. but horrible safety play, I think, opened up that, that lane for Ty Montgomery after the catch. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried about James Jones' value because he was only targeted three times in this game. I know he's banged up, Cobb's banged up. But isn't that kind of strange? Like without that long sixty-five yard TD catch, this would have been a complete dud for James Jones. And I, I'll, I'll just wonder how quickly could his stock fall if he does have a game like that? If he has the two-target, one catch for twelve yards type game, do people lose a lot of faith in him quickly, or do they look at the offense as a whole and say, even though he's not getting high volume every single week, he's still getting enough valuable targets from Aaron Rodgers to continue to be a steady wide receiver too, since Jordy Nelson's gone for the year. I think a lot of people might, you know, kind of lose interest in him if he does have one of those weeks. Like you said, if it wasn't for that long 65-yard touchdown, he has one catch for 12 yards in this game. And, and, you know, I think he's a guy that people are still skeptical of despite putting up four decent weeks of production. Uh, Obviously, he he kind of burst onto the scene in week one and and reestablished himself into this offense. But I think people are still skeptical of him. I think they still you know kind of wonder if if he can keep this up for an entire season so it might only take one or two down weeks like that for him to be available in some leagues but I think when you're playing in this Green Bay offense like you mentioned valuable targets I think uh are maybe more important in in this offense than it would be on on a bad team you know if he's maybe racking up more catches but not getting as many red zone opportunities um so I just I just think the way that Aaron Rodgers looks for him uh, in the end zone is so valuable to be able to get those kind of touchdown bonuses that can save a fantasy season even if he's not or excuse me a fantasy week even if he's not putting up huge reception numbers or yardage numbers yeah it's just been a, a crazy path for him to be as productive as he's been through these first five games now Randall Cobb had just three catches for 23 yards six targets uh, Richard Rodgers at the team high with the eight targets in this one so just a, a very unusual day for the Packer offense as a whole one last thought on the Rams how bad was Nick Foles in this game he looked terrible I mean he looked Completely. He was under a ton of pressure. I'll say that, but still, I mean, just man, this yeah, this Rams defense you, you mentioned as borderline elite. This Rams offense is not elite at all. Uh, we didn't see any receivers with more than three catches. Sedman Bailey led him with seventy-three yards, and sixty-eight of those came late in the game, uh, kind of taking advantage of a broken coverage and, and getting down the sideline. So, I mean, this, this is what happens, I guess, when you rely on two receivers who are small basically hybrid running back wide receivers i mean their top two receivers are kind of like d'anthony thomas's essentially and you know you have brian quick he only had one catch in this one jared cook they didn't really do a good job of involving him just one catch for eight yards so not a lot to like about the st louis offense um but their defense is going to keep them in a lot of games this year yeah i think you're, you're right about that they probably still finished around eight or nine wins though i don't really see much more than that coming from them given their limitations right. in the passing game but todd Gurley just looks like a special talent Seahawks 24, Bengals 27. Seattle was up big in this one, up 24 to 7 entering the fourth quarter. Looked like they were in control on the road. But back comes Andy Dalton, his red faux hawk. I don't know if you saw that on the, oh, the pregame no. show. It was it was styled up. It was a good three, four inches off the head. It, just really gorgeous stuff there. Well executed final drive. They end up tying the game on a Mike Nugent field goal, forcing overtime. Um, and they get another field goal to win that one. They did a really good job at the end of this game of getting the field goal unit out there. No timeouts. Um, and I think Andy Dalton ended up scrambling with like 12 seconds on the clock. And couldn't find anything. Scrambled. Didn't get out of bounds. 
Um, you know, watching this on TV, it, it looked like they weren't going to get it off, but they had the field goal unit ready. Everybody was out there. They had plenty of time, got the kickoff right as time expired, ended up being uh, a pretty short kick. I, mean, I think it was somewhere in the low 30s. So a relatively easy kick for Mike Nugent to tie it. Um, and then they went, went ahead and took care of business in overtime. Russell Wilson, 15 of 23, 213 yards, touchdown and a pick. Andy Dalton, 30 for 44, 331 yards, two touchdowns and a pick for him. He's leading the NFL in yardage right now. Uh, through five weeks Philip Rivers if he has a decent game on Monday night will probably end up passing Dalton but either way Dalton's going to end up as number one or number two in yardage through five weeks probably not something that we necessarily saw coming yeah no, that's the way everybody drew it up I mean Tyler Eifert had uh, eight catches for 90 yards two touchdowns got to give Mario some credit from Friday he pointed out Eifert as the guy he wanted at tight end rather than paying up for Gronk so probably a good week for Mario if the rest of his team did anything close to what Eifert was able to do with the the eight for ninety, the two TDs, twelve targets. AJ Green had a pretty good day. Had a TD called back too because of a, a bogus holding penalty. Uh, so he had finished with six for seventy eight on eight targets, but that could have been over a hundred yards with a score. Uh, Mohamed Sanu had a pretty good game. Marvin Jones had a good game. Really good job by Andy Dalton spreading the ball around to get those three hundred and thirty one yards. And on the ground, Gio Bernard fifteen carries to Jeremy Hill's eight. 80 yards for J- for Bernard and 13 for Jeremy Hill. Uh, Andy Dalton also took a rushing touchdown in this one, vultured that from Bernard, I presume. But weird, Huck- weird day for for a quarterback rushing touchdowns. I think <sighs> Joe Flacco had two. McCown yeah. had one. Yeah, uh, guys that never get rushing no. TDs were getting them yesterday. But what are you doing with Jeremy Hill right now? I mean, how much has his stock fallen? Because this is this is crazy. I mean, it's now a two to one. It carry advantage for Bernard. Bernard's catching the passes. Hill had one reception, but Bernard had five. I mean, is this guy even useful like as a flex in bye weeks right now, or is he a bench guy? I think he's a bench guy right now. And it's crazy. this is kind of the inverse of what we saw last year, where Hill was kind of ended up taking the job from Bernard, and now it's just kind of going back the other way. And I'm rostering Hill in, in two leagues right now, and he's one of those guys that, you, you, you know, you invested so much in him in the draft you kind of want to keep him in that lineup as long as you can and try to milk any value out but I just don't know if you can do that anymore eight carries for 13 yards like you said terrible per carry average not getting the goal line carries um just not a lot to like uh, I guess about that situation and I think if you're going to go one way or the other you have to go with Bernard at this point I think that's pretty clear that that's kind of been the trend over the last two or three weeks but we haven't really seen a split as severe as we saw uh, in this game as far as the the final yardage yeah I, I think at this point Bernard's like a fringy RB1 and Hill is like a four so you you don't play him unless you have an injury and a guy on by or something along those lines pretty impressive performance though from Thomas Rawls on their side 23 carries 169 yards getting over seven yards a carry also got into the end zone in this one not much to get excited about as far as the pass catchers go Jimmy Graham continues to disappoint three for 30 on five targets but I mean, if Lynch continues to miss time, Rawls looks like he's a, a must-play every week. Yeah, absolutely. I was lucky enough to grab him on the waiver wire uh, this week. And you know, like you said, obviously a big game from him, 69 of those yards coming on a long touchdown run in the second half. That's the one that put them up 24-7 to and you know, kind of looked like Seattle was going was gonna to close the, the book on this game. But big comeback from Cincinnati. They're now 5-0. and Seattle's now 2-3. and And theoretically, they're kind of out of it already for the number one seed and that full home field advantage in the NFC. Definitely not out of the playoff race by any means. Uh, I think we know better than to, to count the Seattle team out at this point. 
Um, but they face an uphill battle, and this is maybe not the dominant Seattle team that we've seen over the last two seasons. Um, and things are going to get interesting. When we saw Arizona, after losing to St. Louis last week, they got right back to where they were through the first three weeks of the season, just putting a beat down on a really bad Detroit team. Um, I think they're the team to beat in that division right now until anyone proves otherwise. So Seattle-Arizona matchups are going to be big. Um, but, but as of right now, I think the Cardinals are kind of in the driver's seat there. The Bengals are 5-0. and Are they a for real contender in the AFC I think right now it's kind of New England and everybody else but if there's a team that's creeping up on New England it has to be Cincinnati right I have to wonder I think it is I think they're the number two team in the AFC right now but if if somehow if the Bengals can get home field advantage in the playoffs they can be the one seed if if the Patriots have to be the two and the Patriots have to go on the road as opposed to play Cincinnati at Gillette Stadium I think the Bengals at home in the playoffs would actually have a pretty good chance of winning that game I feel like at New England it's not going to happen uh, but this is a this is a great offense. I mean, even though Jeremy Hill has struggled, to have two backs that you can use in Bernard and Hill, all the pass catching weapons, Eifert, Green, Jones, Sanu, we even saw Brandon Tate show up last week. But they have depth, they have quality, and they're getting good play from Andy Dalton. He's not making mistakes, but it seems like he's also taking a few more chances downfield, which has paid off in a pretty big way. They they look dangerous. Their defense seems healthier. I know Seattle put up to twenty four points against them, but. I actually like the Seattle or the Cincinnati defense as an above average unit as long as they can avoid uh, significant injuries on that side of the ball. Right. And and even offensively, if they do sustain an injury at some point, <clears throat> excuse me, other than the quarterback position, like you said, they're so deep everywhere else. You know, they, they could theoretically sustain an injury to Bernard or Hill or, you know, one of the receivers just because they are so deep. And, you know, you never want to forecast that, but it's the NFL and that's probably going to happen at some point. And, and that, that really ultimately makes a big difference over the course of a 16 game season is, you know, when, when one of your key players misses two, three, four games, how are you able to replace him? And I think they're as deep as anybody at the skill positions right now in the AFC. Um, and you look at their schedule coming up, they're at the Bills next week. That's by no means a guaranteed win, but the Bills have kind of cooled off a little bit. Uh, I think uh, just barely squeaking out a win over Tennessee on Sunday. Then they have the bye. They're at Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't think Roethlisberger is expected back for that game. I guess that's kind of right on the borderline. Uh, that'd be the early that could be the early as possible return I don't think that's going to happen no I don't think so either so you're, you're thinking you're getting the Mike Vick Steelers then in three weeks then you're home against the Browns home against the Texans uh before going at Arizona so going into that Arizona game uh you know which would be week six seven eight nine ten eleven so looking pretty far ahead I mean they they could theoretically be you know nine and one uh, fairly easily, assuming that maybe they lose to the Bills or, or at Pittsburgh. I think they're going to lose one of the two road games around the bye week. I don't know which one it's going to be necessarily. I feel like Buffalo at home can be pretty tough, so that might be the one. But if they if they win that game, I could see them losing, even coming off of a rest at Pittsburgh. Just divisional games, just tough to go in there and get wins. So uh, they're to me, they're a very complete team right now. We'll just see if, if health allows them to stay that way. How important is that game coming up for Seattle as they host 4-0 Carolina next week? I don't think Carolina's really that good. So they I haven't played anyone. Yeah, I just I feel like Seattle actually rolls and kind of see the car see the Panthers get exposed in that game. All right. Yeah, I think a lot of people are expecting the same, but not a must win for Seattle by any means this early in the season, but certainly a game that they can't really afford to drop if they want to stay in the hunt for that number one seed and, and win the NFC West. Redskins 19, Falcons 25. This is one of the additional overtime games in the early slate. Falcons win this one on a pick six in overtime by Robert Alford. They've already completed the season sweep of the NFC East. 
Yeah, it's amazing, right? It's kind of kind of impressive. I mean, the East to me isn't even a bad division no. either. So to to run the table against them, I know you get the Cowboys without Dez and Tony Romo, so that makes it a little easier. But just beating the Eagles and the Giants in the first two weeks is pretty impressive. Kind of a, a quiet day though again for Julio Jones, right? Without that fumble recovery TD. It would have been an awful day for him from a fantasy standpoint, just basically we'll pay for him on DraftKings and, and how much he costs, of course, in season-long leagues. Devonta Freeman, though, just continues to get it done. How, how impressed are you by what he's been able to do over the last three weeks? Very, very impressed. And I don't think this is just a situation where you know, he's been able to take advantage of those increased carries with Tevin Coleman banged up. Coleman did play in this one. He just had two carries. I mean, this is obviously Devontae Freeman's job to lose at this point. And kind of going into the season, it looked like it might be a 50-50 split. And a lot of people like Tevin Coleman to kind of grab the reins on this job. But, no, I mean, this is this is really incredible what he's been able to do. And it he looks, you know, at just watching it, watching it live and watching it full speed. I mean, the way he hits holes, the way he, he just kind of runs with the reckless abandon, I guess, it's, it's impressive. And I, I think he... I think he could be a long-term guy for them. Was unable to replicate his three TD performances on the ground of the last two weeks, but 153 yards and a touchdown. Uh, almost had a receiving touchdown in this one too. I think he ended up um, he ended up getting it called back on a challenge. Um, you know, I, no one knows what a catch is these days. I don't know if you've seen the replay on it, but it was like the most clear catch of any of the controversial ones that I've seen. Um, somehow called back. He ended up running it in on that possession. So you know, fantasy owners, I guess, get the benefit either way. But yeah, like you, yeah, like you said, like you said, you said Julio. But what I mean by that is, from a health standpoint, he did not look like he was 100. percent And the Falcons' bye week, I think, isn't until like week 10 or maybe 11. They they have a lie, so not ideal uh, from a Julio Jones health perspective. What is ideal for Atlanta is their upcoming schedule. I mean, this is another team that I think, you know, they're undefeated. They're 5-0, and but does anybody really, really consider them a contender in the NFC? I think they're still a tier below even the Seattles, uh, definitely Green Bay. Um, but you look, they're 5-0, and and looking at their upcoming schedule, DVR, tell me which of these games you think the Falcons will lose. I mean, at New Orleans on a Thursday, Short probably week. not, but that could be kind of a sneaky game just because... If Julio's not, if Julio's if Julio's banged up, the short week's going to kind of exacerbate that. But Saints aren't good though. The Saints are not a good team, so the Falcons should. I mean, they've lost like six straight at the dome, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, how exactly? How long can that streak continue though? So it, maybe that, they, was the Cowboys game. And that the Cowboys game was in New Orleans, I think. That was in New yeah, Orleans. Okay, so before that, it was six straight. I just think that that home field advantage maybe is a little bit overstated at this point uh, compared to what it was, you know, over the previous four or five years. But at Saints. Then they have a long week to prepare after playing Thursday night at Tennessee. I think you like their chances yeah, there. Yeah, no worries there. Home against Tampa Bay. No problem. At, for, at the uh, excuse me, at the San Francisco 49ers. Probably not a problem. Home against the Colts. That's nope. after the bye. Yeah, this should be fine coming off the bye. Home against the Vikings. Should be okay there. At Tampa Bay. No, no problem. At Carolina. That's probably a loss. That's probably a loss. That's the first loss that we're saying, like, okay, this is, looks like a loss. At Jacksonville. Win. Win. Home against Carolina. Win. And then home against New Orleans. So win. So maybe. I mean, they okay. can go 14 and 2 like pretty easily with this schedule. 14 and 2 with a Thursday loss to the Saints and then a week 14 loss on the road to Carolina. That's it. That's, That's it. That, and, that puts a lot know. of pressure they, on other teams. They, they could certainly drop one. I mean, home against the Vikings, that could be a little bit of a trap game. You never know. Um, but, I mean, they're almost locked into a playoff spot just looking at who they have ahead of them on the schedule. And I think a team like Green Bay who has one of the toughest schedules in the league, probably looks at this Atlanta schedule with quite a bit of envy. Yeah, uh, I mean, every, every team in the NFC should because this is, this is a great spot for, for Atlanta. I mean, with New Orleans taking a big step back, that's 
that's the difference. Yeah. Like those two games ordinarily would be com- complete coin flips if the, both these teams were good. Now it just seems like Atlanta can roll them. Yeah, absolutely. And even if they don't necessarily have the look of a contender just yet, they might end up being the number one seed kind of by default just because they're, they're not going to be really tested to the degree that teams like Arizona and Green Bay and Seattle all pretty much already have been. Um, so it could be a situation where they end up as that one seed and are maybe able to make something happen with that home field advantage. Saints 17, Eagles 39. Another slow start for Philadelphia. They turn it over on downs on their first possession, throw two picks on the next two possessions. Um, but then things turned around pretty drastically. They put up a big second half, 29 to 10. They outscored New Orleans in the final two quarters. Saints lost three fumbles in this one, two of those by Drew Brees. Sam Bradford, Two picks early in this game, like I said, but ends up with a pretty nice line, 32 of 45, 333 yards, two touchdowns to go with those two interceptions. Drew Brees, 26 of 43, 335 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. DeMarco Murray finally got on track, 83 yards on 20 carries with a touchdown. Also had seven catches for 37 yards. Ryan Matthews had 73 yards on eight carries and a touchdown. Willie Sneed, another big week, 89 yards in that win over Dallas. He was one of the most claimed players in most leagues coming off of that week four performance. And then he follows up and really rewards people who went out and got him. Six catches for 141 yards, did not get in the end zone, but still you have to love that yardage total for a guy who really wasn't expected to be much at all this year. Yeah, it's kind of amazing what he's been able to accomplish. Marcus Colston looks like a cut if you've been holding on to him this long, just not getting much of a role. And Sneed has... Seemingly more of a slot receiver, getting the 11 targets, 6 for 141 is an impressive day. Brandon Cooks showed up, 5 for 107 and a score. So things could have been worse from the Saints' perspective, even though they got crushed in this game. Uh, but the big thing that stands out to me, too, here is C.J. Spiller. I thought after that long TD to beat the Cowboys, he'd be more involved in the game plan. Four targets, three catches, minus eight yards, three carries for 10 yards. I mean, how, how bizarre is that? I don't think it's that bizarre. I mean, we, I think we talked about this last week. I talked about it with somebody, I think, basically discussing the same situation. Yet. Was it really a big week for him in that Monday night win? I feel like it was just a blown coverage in overtime and an 80-yard touchdown that kind of made his, his final line look a lot better. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not too surprised, I guess, by the, by the output from Spiller. The Saints' offense is kind of broken right now. I think they're in a really bad spot and kind of stuck between hanging on to the end of the Breeze era and – probably being in a position where they need to start thinking about rebuilding. Yeah, I think that's at the crossroads they're at right now. And it's it's also, I think, difficult for teams that are looking to this coming draft for a quarterback, potentially, to think that they're going to find that guy coming out of college right away. I, I don't think there's a, a game-changing quarterback on the verge of making the leap to the NFL right now. So it's a particularly dire time if your team either has questions at quarterback already or will soon have them because of an aging player like Brees. Right, and you, you said there's really no one guy that you would tank for. I don't know if that's the right. No, I mean, there's no yeah, there's no like, Newton, there's no luck. Who's, the, who's the number one quarterback? Jared Goff, and he just threw five picks on Saturday. Yeah, I, I, I got nothing. I mean, I have no idea who the first quarterback taken in the draft is going to be. Right, it's safe to say there's not a prize at the top as there often right. is, and you know, there's even I think even Mariota and Winston weren't considered as sure of things as you know a guy like Andrew Luck was, and and a guy like Luck only comes around you know every ten fifteen years, but. Yeah, not, not a great situation, I guess, if you're a team like New Orleans where you kind of want to start looking toward the future. Maybe you end up grabbing a quarterback in round two or three, uh, a guy that you know, maybe kind of want to groom over the next few years. But, yeah, tough situation for the Saints as kind of the, you know, that was it 2010, 2011 Super Bowl. One of those two, I think they they were able to win. And 
you know, they kind of coasted off of that momentum for a couple of years, and things are starting to crash down a little bit on them, I think, as this roster gets a little bit older. Looks like things were getting a little bit uh, contentious between Sean Payton and uh, Rob Ryan, too, at some point during this game. So we'll see how that relationship holds up. Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting in Week 6. DraftKings will be hosting yet another Millionaire Maker event. This time, $1.2 million goes to the first-place winner. You can go to DraftKings.com now. You can enter the promo code ROTOWIRE. That's R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E. That'll let you play free with your first deposit on DraftKings.com. Again, that promo code is ROTOWIRE. That'll get you a free entry with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. This is not fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. All right, let's move into the second half of our game breakdown. Still some early games, uh, a couple of early games to break down, and then we'll get into the later games as well as the Sunday night game. We'll start in Baltimore where the Cleveland Browns are able to finish off the Ravens in overtime. Browns 33, Ravens 30. Is Josh McCown the best quarterback in the league? Probably. I mean, he's unstoppable. 457, two TDs. 36 of 51. He's got a top five tight end in Gary Barnage, maybe a top three tight end. The guy can catch passes with his legs and crotchal region. I think that's pretty impressive. More catches for Duke Johnson than Crowell, but Crowell is the more effective back. They have two pretty useful running backs, if not not great players. They're good players, good enough players. Travis Benjamin's a target machine. I mean, the Browns, you can only hope to contain them, really. Right, and that, that's the point that we're at right now. Like you said, 457 yards from a count, 51 attempts. It seems like the players that we're seeing get to the 50-attempt plateau this season are guys like McCown, Ryan Mallett. I think Kirk Cousins might have got there one week. Some, some unorthodox numbers, I guess, from players who are really not expected to have that kind of output. Pretty pedestrian day from Joe Flacco, 19 of 35, 210 yards and a touchdown for him. Justin Forsett, 21 carries, 121 yards and a touchdown. Like you said, Duke Johnson, just 22 yards on the ground, ends up with six catches for 55 yards, so kind of salvaging his fantasy day there. But Gary Barnage, the real star uh, of the day for Cleveland, like you said, he made that catch that I'm sure most people have seen at this point, uh, just kind of trapped the ball between his legs, used his ankle to, to pin it there in the end zone, and, and was able to hold on for what ended up being a pretty important touchdown in this game. Yeah, pretty huge uh, turnaround for the Browns in this one. I mean, it looked like the Ravens were in control. They were up 14-3 at the end of the first quarter, but like I said, you only wish to contain Josh McCown. That's as much as you can really do. Good sign for the Ravens, though. They got Justin Forsett going on the ground again. 21 carries for 121 yards and a score. Joe Flacco really took what could have been an amazing day for Forsett and made it worse with two rushing scores of his own, but even Buck Allen was running well for the Ravens. Kamar Aiken, nine targets, four catches, 78 yards. Otherwise, there's nothing here to get excited about for pass catchers. I mean, I, I wanted I wanted so much more from Darren Waller, and yet they targeted him just two times. Listen to what you're saying. This is the point that we're at right now. We're disappointed in what Darren Waller that's, is that's, bringing to the table. Desperate um, times call for desperate measures. This Baltimore team is just, uh, they're not a 1-4 team, right? I mean, they're, the offense, the lack of weapons right now maybe makes them uh, you know, 1-4 team. No Steve Smith in this one as he continues to deal with multiple fractures in his back which like somehow it makes him questionable i think if i had multiple fractures in my back i would probably just retire you, you, you'd, you'd retire and you'd like contemplate just being like you know this just like cryogenically freeze me right until you can make this problem go away because i don't want to be alive with this problem right exactly and you know, he was questionable going into this one expected to be back within the next couple of weeks and i think 
That's probably what we expect from Steve Smith at this point. I was more disappointed as I almost knock over my coffee cup here. Almost, you almost uh, just lost a MacBook to a coffee. Uh, well, Empty? there's no coffee in here. Oh, uh, good work. Yeah, thank the good Lord. Uh, just one target, or excuse me, just one reception for zero yards on one target for Max Williams, a guy that with Crockett Gilmore out, I think people expected to take a little bit more of a role in this offense. That did not happen at all. And there's nothing to like about this Baltimore receiving core right now. As Brashad Perriman is who knows where, doing doing whatever he's doing. Uh, I think, what did we say last week? Dr. James Andrews called him like one of the slowest recoverers he's ever, <laughs> yes. he's ever seen. Like I don't know, is that like a slight from... From doc, from Doctor Andrews or what? But, I, I, uh, I think I think it might uh, depend. It, it, there's there's two ways you can be slow in recovery. Like one, your body may just like not repair itself that quickly. That's what which you're is, saying. It, I, I think that's what Andrews is implying. Two yeah. would be like that you don't work hard in rehab. I don't think that was the case no. at all. I think it's just that the scar tissue and, right. and all that's just not clearing up the way it's supposed to. Things. Doctor James Andrews would know, seeing as he seems to have evaluated like every athlete of every sport <laughs> who's ever had any kind of ligament issue. What what an amazing guy in terms of Isn't what he's crazy? been able to do like, i mean if you're like, a sports fan you know who dr james andrews is even if you're like a fan of only one sport you've yeah, heard of this guy you've heard of him at some point i mean oh i wonder what his net income has been from surgeries on athletes it's got to be insane it's got to be off the charts i mean he's eight figures probably yeah like probably like over 10 million lifetime uh, do you think he'd be on a celebritynetworth.com? Uh, he could be. I mean, how, how reliable do you think celebrity See, net worth James is? Andrews is net worth is estimated at ten million dollars. Yeah, ten million. See, I spent a lot of time on that website. Looked it up already, so I knew. Uh, but th- th- we are really in a, th- th- this. This portion of our outline is horrible. Like these games, the afternoon games, the late afternoon games that we're about to get to, they're always bad. Were a disaster. I mean, the Bills Titans was an early game, fourteen thirteen. The Bills win this game. Tyrod Taylor is their only viable running option, which great. Percy Harvin's still terrible. Marcus Mariota led his team in rushing in this game. Did anybody watch this? I heard Ken Wisenhunt punted from like the yeah. Bills thirty-five or yeah. something, or the Bills thirty-three. It oh, was yeah. it was a horrible, horrible fourth down punt. Just awful. Like the New York Times robot almost exploded, even though it knows that Ken Wisenhunt doesn't understand the math behind when to punt and when to go for it. Right, yeah, there were some questionable questionable coaching decisions, to say the least, at this one. They punted from the Buffalo 39 in the second quarter. 39, that's where 39 it was. 39-yard line. On fourth and two? On fourth and two. Fourth and two! At the With three minutes left in the half. Um, and, Get know, out of here. Fire him now. Against, against that just vaunted Buffalo passing attack that we all know can move down the field. Yeah, very questionable to say. Just too, too conservative, I think, for a team like Tennessee that really doesn't have a whole lot to lose, right? And that's, that's what bothers me. And Jacksonville is the same way in a lot of ways, is that they coach their team as if they're like a contender. And it's like, if it's fourth and one and you're down a couple touchdowns, don't punt. Just go for it. Don't go punt. for it. What do you have to lose? Like, See what you can do. Find a, lo- find a play that works. Just, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, Tennessee is probably maybe a, a half rung higher up than Jacksonville at this point. And they were they were leading in that game at the time. So you could maybe understand Wisenhunt's reasoning. But still, a 3-0 lead in the second quarter. I don't think you can get too comfortable about that. Tennessee led 10-0 at one point in this game. Tyrod Taylor led Buffalo back. Uh, Marcus Mariota kind of ends up sealing the game. Under two minutes left, he's picked um and obviously that was that was just about it so an ugly win for buffalo but they're three and two they're still in the thick of it in the afc east tyrod taylor 10 of 17 just 109 yards uh with one touchdown did have 76 yards on the ground a long of 26 that went for a score 
Booby Dixon, a guy people shelled out a ton of fab for this week, uh, one of the top claimed waiver guys. He just has seven carries for 19 yards, ends up being Boom Heron. Uh, who, who led them from a running back perspective in rushing just 28 yards on nine carries. So very interesting line uh, all across from this Buffalo offense, but a win is a win. Never trust a man named Booby. Never, ever. Oh, speaking of boobies, other booby news in sports, Booby Gibson, who you might remember for those pre-Miami LeBron Cavs teams, uh, basically his buddy who would just spot up in the corner and shoot threes, announced his retirement this past week. Um, he's pursuing a rap career rather than an NBA career. So he hasn't played in the league since 2012, but he felt it necessary to make a public announcement on a nationally syndicated radio show to announce that he's leaving the NBA and will pursue a rap career. So not a great weekend for boobies all around. Cardinals 42, Lions 17. I feel like this Lions team isn't as bad as they've shown they should be. I mean, from a personnel standpoint, you look at that offense, this is probably not a team that should have zero wins through five weeks but they're the only team that's winless right now yeah jim caldwell is in trouble as far as uh, retaining that job because looking at the talent on the roster i mean the whole staff is joe lombardi the offensive coordinator maybe the first to go because the offense has been awful the way this one worked out the cardinals getting up big in the second quarter the target distribution makes no sense Golden tate had 18 targets only caught eight for 74 yards theo riddick was targeted 13 times Caught 10 balls for 53 yards and a score. Kelvin Johnson was targeted just seven times. Lance Moore targeted eight times, 655 and a score. Why would you ever target three pass catchers more than you target Kelvin Johnson? Like, what defense is there for that? Was he resting? I didn't watch this game. Was who resting? Kel- was, was Kelvin Johnson just resting because it was a blowout? He actually was in the, se- in the second half. I don't think he played much in the fourth quarter, if at all. Okay. I mean, I, That's the only you know explanation. Brought, you know they brought Dan Orlovsky into this game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I was just the, making sure. Or, Orlovsky appearance. Orlo- they, they threw it 70 times as a team in this game. With Dan Orlovsky and Matt Stafford. Yeah, 30, Stafford 38. after three picks in this one. He... 20 of 32 for 188 yards looks okay. One touchdown looks okay. But then you see the three picks, and you can understand why he was out of this game. Orvlovsky, they pretty much just let him sling it around when he got in. I mean, 38 attempts in what was basically a half. Uh, 191 yards, a touchdown, and a pick for him. And it's just tough to see that those kind of numbers and look on the other side and see how efficient Carson Palmer was. 11 of 14, 161 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. That's good for a 96.8 QBR. Another big day for Chris Johnson, 11 carries, 103 yards. He was tackled just short of the goal line uh, on a 40-yard scamper in the second half, so almost got that touchdown bonus for fantasy owners. They ended up giving that one to David Johnson. He had three carries for six yards but two touchdowns. So you were rewarded a little bit, I guess, if you took the gamble on him. Uh, A small workload but a very meaningful workload. Well, Arians is kind of handling the backfield the way Bill Belichick does now where it's like, what's he going to do next? I mean, Chris Johnson – 11 carries for 103 yards. Andre Ellington, 3 for 63, but he scored long TD. I mean, how strange is that? And he didn't throw any passes to running backs other than Stephon Taylor, who got one target. So this game was so unusual. I don't know if there's much you can take away from it as far as how the Cardinals handled that situation, but just that David Johnson scored twice and Chris Johnson missed out on a TD or Ellington missed out on a TD, very frustrating to see. Is the job in Detroit, though, the, the running back job, is that shifting or is that just the result of the game being out of hand? Zach Zenner had more carries than Amir Abdullah, and Abdullah lost a fumble in this one again. And he almost lost another one. Detroit almost had four fumbles within the first, like, 
I don't even know what, 15, 16 minutes of this game. And the, the second Abdullah one was a clear fumble. There was no debate about that. He broke off a long run, got hit from behind. The ball ended up being touched by an Arizona defender as he was going out of bounds. Initially ruled Arizona ball, uh, ended up going to a review and was overturned. But I mean, I don't think that really eliminates any concerns. Whether it's officially ruled a fumble or not, it was a fumble. He didn't end up losing it. Did lose one, like you said, before that. So that's a major issue. There's one thing that coaches in the NFL uh, at that level especially don't like. It's running backs who fumble. Uh, and that's one way to, to find yourself on the sidelines pretty quick. Zach Zenner was running the ball before they pulled Stafford. Like his, I think they just kind of like just threw in the white flag, basically. We're like, you know, we're just going to hand it to this white guy. And, and he was able to, to break off a couple of decent runs. I mean, he looked like the best running back Detroit had to offer, which is pretty sad at this point. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if any coaching changes are coming for this Detroit team. They've pretty much hit rock bottom, I think, in a season that they maybe thought they were going to be a dark horse playoff contender, right? I mean, I think most people pick them as, you know, two or maybe three in the NFC North, probably a, a nine or ten win team that could sneak in as a wild card. Yeah, a, a close third, I think, for many people that had Minnesota at, in second. But holy cow, this has been just an awful five-week stretch for this team. And just think back to week one. They had that 21-3 lead on the road in San Diego. And I, I, I just wonder, in, in the parallel universe where they somehow hold onto that lead they win that game how different do the last four weeks play out how much confidence are they, are they playing with how are, how are things different maybe maybe it's not at all maybe they just be one and four today but you, you kind of have to ask that question if you're a lions fan because there's nothing else to get excited about at this point patriots 30 cowboys six i mean this was a crap game gronkowski didn't gronk Deion lewis is still pretty awesome Darren McFadden is the new Lance Dunbar and Jason Garrett doesn't hate Joseph Randall as much as I thought but it doesn't matter because teams can load the box and you can't run that effectively when you're facing eight-man fronts the entire game yeah this is a tough situation if you're a Cowboys fan and did, or you know have ownership in this in this Cowboys offense uh looking at it from a fantasy perspective I think they just kind of want to make it through the the dark ages of Brandon Whedon starting and get get Tony Romo back and unfortunately they really haven't uh, been able to mitigate the the losses thus far but I like you said they limit the offense so much they know teams are going to pack the box and yeah, it's just so many check downs from Brandon Whedon 188 yards on 26 completions so I mean you're not seeing a lot of Yikes. not seeing a lot of downfield throws from him a QBR of just 27.5 no touchdowns and a pick just the fact that they're not able to do what they like to do through the air has really limited this offense and I think they, like I said, they just kind of want to limp through these next couple of weeks, get Romo back, get Des back, and hopefully they can pick up where they left off uh, through those first couple of weeks of the season when that offense was really humming. Not a lot to like in their receiving core. Darren McFadden was the leader, six catch, or excuse me, nine catches for 62 yards for him. Cole Beasley, four for 40. Witten, five for 33. Terrence Williams, a guy people were scrambling to grab when Des Bryant went down, just two catches for 30 yards. He had that late touchdown against the Saints that ended up forcing overtime in that game, kind of bailed owners out in week four. But, you know, week five, just kind of back to the same old, same old from him. Yeah, he's kind of a dud. I don't have any shares, so it hasn't hurt me uh, just yet. But I saw, I think it was the it was the NBC Sunday night like halftime show or postgame show. And I think Rodney Harrison was suggesting that it's time for Matt Castle to start over Brandon Whedon. And I just thought, does this even matter? Does it, does it even make a difference? I think... Yeah, they kept showing him on the sidelines. You know, after after every Whedon series ended, they they panned to Matt Castle. He's sitting there in his Cowboys hat. Like I, they signed him for a reason, right? I think he's going to at least get an opportunity. 
Maybe. I, mean, I don't think he's a big upgrade over Brandon Whedon by any means. Um, I don't think Whedon's play exclusively is the reason why they're losing. I think it's just being depleted as badly as they have been offensively, talent-wise. Like that's a that's a major problem. Yeah. Do you think if if they had Des back and even without Roma, you know, if it's Whedon with Des, like does that make a huge difference? I think Des is one of those receivers. There's probably five or six in the league that just make any quarterback viable. Like it, it could make. Brandon Whedon looked like a league average quarterback most weeks having Dez out there if he targeted him appropriately. Uh, and I think it would open things up a lot more for the running game too because you'd have that threat to make big plays on the outside. You have to respect that. You have to play them a lot differently. And Brandon Whedon, like you said, hasn't been that bad. He hasn't been good by any means, but I don't think he's been the disaster that a lot of people thought he would. You know, there are those quotes uh, I think that people unearthed over the summer or at the end of last season where he said something like, oh, I hope I never have to go in. You know, I think that was more directed at, I hope Tony Romo doesn't get hurt for the good of our team. Right, but yeah. I think people were expecting like a, a, like a disaster with, with Brandon Whedon just based on what we'd seen from him in Cleveland. But, I mean, starting with when he came on in relief against Philadelphia, he was 7 for 7 there, 22 of 26 against Atlanta, 16 of 26 against New Orleans, 26 of 39 against a good New England D. He's at least not killing them. You know, he's two touchdowns, two picks on the season. So I agree with you. I don't think he's necessarily the reason they're losing. He's not going to win you games. And I think we saw that against New Orleans, um, you know, when they, they kind of needed they needed more from him, I think, against a bad New Orleans team than, than he was able to give. But, yeah, he's he's been stable enough that if things were to break the right way defensively for them, that they, they should at least be in some of these games. They've got a bye coming up here in week six. They go on the road to face the Giants coming out of the bye in week seven. So I guess they got some time to make a change if they want to and try to get Matt Castle up to speed. But 7.5 YPA through uh, four appearances, three starts. I mean, that's really just it's not terrible. Like it's It's acceptable play from a backup quarterback and you need your defense to step up. You need your running game to be more effective but I think the running game will be limited at least until uh at least until you get Tony Romo back and if Dez gets back first that'll certainly help open things up a bit just because again it changes the scheme of the opposing defense Broncos 16 Raiders 10 the low scoring Broncos are not nearly as much fun as the uh, pinball version we've seen for the last couple of years Ronnie Hillman was better than CJ Anderson on a per carry basis both were bad and they get Cleveland in week six the Browns everyone's run against the Browns we talked about Justin Forsett and Buck Allen earlier, but pretty much every week all season, the Browns have been vulnerable to opposing backs, which makes me think that maybe there's some appeal with one of Hillman or Anderson uh, in DraftKings and even just spotting them in season-long spots where they're available. But this game was a fantasy dud as a whole, right? Unless you had the Denver defense, you weren't happy with anything. Marcel Reese had a receiving touchdown for Oakland, but Amari Cooper is 447. Latavius Murray had 57 yards from scrimmage. He didn't find the end zone. Derek Carr was mediocre, 249, a TD and a pick, sacked four times. Manning had 266 through the air, two picks, two sacks. Emmanuel Sanders, 9 for 111. Demarius, 5 for 55. But there's just nothing good in this game. No, not at all. Um, and that... that- Derek Carr interception pretty much sealed the game. Chris Harris brought that back. I think it was close to 70, 75 yards uh, late in the fourth quarter. Interesting coaching tidbit that I noticed watching this game. So Oakland, after that pick six, is down 16-7. to seven. So nine-point deficit. Um, they take over with about six minutes left. Take up like a six-minute drive, actually. 13-play drive. Ends up uh, giving up on downs. Denver gets the ball back, goes three and out in 38 seconds. Uh, great clock management there with, with just over. They got the ball back with 225 and ended up um, had a third of 11 incomplete pass with 206 left. So basically gifting the Raiders a little bit of second life, You know, still down nine with basically two minutes left. 
Oakland gets the ball at the 20. They get a, a defensive pass interference call for 48 yards, basically just whipping one down to Cooper, and Bradley Roby gets called. So they're now down at the Denver 32. First and 10 with a minute 40 left. They kick the field goal from the Denver 32. A okay. 50-yard field goal. The long field goal, yeah. A 50-yard field goal on first down. And, uh, of course, it's Sebastian Janikowski, so it's a gimme. But still, <laughs> like this is a weird call, right? Like, and I don't know if the thought is we have a better chance of getting an onside kick and then we'll worry about the touchdown or like what I mean, I've never I just kind of blew my mind did they still have three timeouts left to where they I'm could sure. if they didn't recover the onside kick they could stop the clock three times and force a punt I'm not sure if they did no they didn't they had yeah that's they dumb. Had one timeout left no you, you try I'll to get, get the it. TD I mean if the drive is stalling out yeah it's third and long or something then you just go ahead and, and take it and just get it over with to save the time because the clock is a problem at a certain point but that no that's that's just weird right that's I just, just don't, like, bad first down i don't i don't understand you're at the 32 yard line you're 12 yards from the red zone well jack del rio he's safe <laughs> for this year choice. um so yeah 16 to 10 is the final on that one that the game ended on a punt actually it was eight seconds left on the clock it was fourth and six and, and denver just kind of pooch punted it away and <laughs> oakland believe it or not the old uh pitcher pitcher ruski i guess we'll call it play uh, did not work out as it never seems to no no uh, never never seems to go yeah. well well the sunday night game wasn't bad giants no, 30 wasn't. niners 27 the niners had this game won at one point too a late drive great catch by larry Donnell in the back of the end zone to win it Odell Beckham though is banged up again. He was on the was on the field for the last few plays, but there was clearly some times in this game, in the second half, where he should have been out there and he wasn't. So I'm a little concerned there. Seven for one twenty one and a score from him. Nice uh, salsa dance as well after that score. That was like a that was like a modified salsa, it was right? A tribute to Victor Cruz, right? It, see, it seemed like it was, but it seemed like it had a little something else kind of going on there. I am not a salsa expert. I know some people think I am, but it just everybody thinks it, you are. It did look like cruise but like with like odb's own twist well it was kind of that situation where he clearly had this pre-plan like as soon as he caught the ball he like ran to a spot in the end zone and started <laughs> flailing his arms and doing whatever and there was a brief moment of salsa there victor cruz loved it he was he was hyped up on the sidelines speaking of which did you hear about like victor cruz's off the field issues this past week his his fiance had looked <laughs> as my keys fall out of my pocket his fiance had looked through his text messages and found that he uh had some, how you say, side chicks, and sent them all a group message. Multiple? Yeah, and I think she, like, either, somehow somebody, like, websites got a hold of this message, and I don't know if she posted it or what. It was just kind of a, a revenge situation. Uh-oh. So <laughs> still rehabbing that calf injury, still rehabbing his uh, his relationship with his fiance, I guess, off the field. Um, but like you said, ODB's kind of been able to pick up the slack for this Giants receiving core. Literary Donald, very nice catch. It's a really tough catch. It's a kind of chancy throw by Eli Manning late in this game. I was watching this at Jenna's uh, just off the square, and there was like multiple Giants fans going insane during this game. But you don't see a ton of Giants fans in Madison, Wisconsin. But I mean, people were up, and that's not really a bar you go to watch a game either. I'm not sure if you're no, familiar with Jenna's. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm familiar. Scene. It was, it was, it was kind of fun though. I kind of expected it to just be a quiet, you know, sip a couple uh, PBRs and then watch the game. But no, it was a rowdy atmosphere, and, and rightfully so, I guess, if you're a Giants fan. Yeah, no, I'm just looking at this uh, this message here. This is. This is a pretty. This is a pretty good. This is a good power move, like like by his uh, by his fiance. I'm sure their their relationship's done. Like it, it, that's not. I don't know. That's not going to hold up. But it's a great way to just bring down the whole thing for him on the way out. So 
good work. I, I appreciate that. That's, that's good. That's just yeah, if he's gonna if he's gonna be stepping out on her, then go ahead and send those group texts. You de- it's what you deserve. You, you do that stuff. That's exactly what you deserve. <laughs> um, anything else from this game? Josh Brown and Phil Dawson. Uh, five, five on field goals, uh, pulling the old yeah, Gagliannoni, I guess. Phenomenal, um, phenomenal work there. Yep. Well, Colin Kaepernick was actually decent, and a big part of it was the game from the ghost of Anquan Bolden. We right. haven't seen much from Bolden all year. I thought in deeper leagues, especially in PPR formats, that he was actually still pretty safe because he always finds a way to get separation. He's this the guy. The passing defense in the league to the Giants. That's that's what it took. I mean, it, they're they're the brown like the Browns run defense and the Giants pass defense are are like the best. Like that's what you want to you want to target them as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And I think I this wish was they proof. Played each other this year, that would have been something. Talk about fireworks. Um, decent game from Carlos Hyde in this one. Uh, he kind of gets back on track. 21 carries, 93 yards, and a score. Rashad Jennings, 11 for 46. No rushing touchdowns for the Giants. But like you said, a, a I wouldn't say impressive game from Colin Kaepernick, but a, a the best game of the season that we've seen from him. No interceptions, two touchdowns, 23 of 35. Didn't really get a ton going on the ground, just three carries for 23 yards there. Reggie Bush, one carry, negative one yards. I mean, he he was a guy that was supposed to be maybe a little bit of an X factor for this 49ers team, and that has not been the case. He's kind of been their C.J. Spiller. Yeah, he has. I mean, a complete catch machine in this one. But I think because of the way like, you think about – well, a couple of things I want to think about here. Shane Vereen, first and foremost, like a catch machine for the Giants. And like I, I want him to be reliable on a week-to-week basis, and he, he's not. And then I was looking at the, the end of this game as the, the Niners were getting all banged up. Like Hyde was a little bit dinged up. Reggie Bush was just standing there on the sidelines. And I thought, like, Reggie Bush would be good in PPR leagues, too. Like, I thought Reggie Bush and Shane Vereen would be similar in value this year. And they're both wildly unpredictable for different reasons. Like, Bush just can't stay healthy again, which we've seen as an issue for him in the past. But Vereen has to deal with Jennings and Andre Williams. Like, they just don't go away. Like, week in and week out, I never know what the Giants are going to do. Like, it's just crazy to me that Shane Vereen isn't a more consistent part of that offense when Rashad Jennings mostly disappoints us. Yeah, absolutely. One last note on Reggie Bush. I don't know if you've seen the commercials. The USC 30 for 30 premieres on Tuesday Ooh, night. That's going to be about good. About that, like, Bush, White, Liner, yeah. Dwayne Jarrett team. That's that's a pretty uh, awesome I, team. Yeah, this is this is the, the premiere of, like, the new season or run of the of all the new 30 for 30s. So we've got Fargo coming back tonight on FX. I don't know if you caught season one of that. I was a big fan of that show. You liked the Fargo? Uh, loved the Fargo. Uh, loved the 30 for 30s, as most people do. So quite a bit of TV, uh, sports TV this week as playoff you know, baseball. I think yeah. Yeah, when does that first playoff game start? As we record about eleven thirty Central Time here, I think we what about an hour until first pitch. I thought I saw one Eastern for the first game today. So by the time people are listening to this, that game's going to be underway. Yeah, I would, wish I could do a good Bart Scott can't wait impression, but I don't think my voice is quite deep enough for that. Any other thing we want to touch on? Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about this Monday night game? Mm. <laughs> is that a no? No, we can talk about it briefly. I mean, I, I need I need Michael Vick to not be awful in one league, and I don't think that's going to happen. I just think he's mediocre at this point. I had Josh McCown as an option. It's a two QB league, so I messed that up already. No matter what happens, but curious to see even if Vick isn't good, can the Steelers run it enough? Can their offense move the ball effectively enough to make this a shootout? Because I think it has some shootout potential. I mean, if it were Roethlisberger under center, it definitely would have that. But that's the big question. Like, can the Steelers offense actually keep up with the Chargers or does this game turn into one where San Diego is just running it throughout the second half with Melvin Gordon and Danny Woodhead 
Right, and that, that could certainly be the case. Antonio Gates is back for San Diego. Martavis Bryant is back for the Steelers. I think I need, I've worked out the math, like uh, either like 370 yards or like six touchdowns from Antonio Gates uh, to, to win my matchup in the Rotowire League. So you know, hopefully he channels his inner algae crumpler and just goes off. You probably have about a 35% chance of getting that. I think higher. Yeah, I think maybe a little higher. Right, I'd be. I'm going to be very upset if, if Gates doesn't end up with with about 75 points tonight. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, this will be interesting to see how they reintegrate him. I think Ladarius Green was uh, not a big part of this offense, I guess, in his absence. But I think he had at least five targets in every game uh, that he played in Gates' spot. So you kind of like to think that there's going to be some value there if you were stashing Gates on your bench for those first four weeks. All right, that's all we have for our Week 5 recap. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. As always, we are brought to you by DraftKings.com. They are the leader in daily fantasy sports. If you go to DraftKings.com, you can use the promo code Rotowire. And uh, if you're making your first deposit, that'll give you a free contest entry today. Also, of course, Derek, as I'm sure you can agree, our listeners should probably check out Rotowire. You could do that free if you go to Rotowire.com slash pod. All you have to do is just fill in your name, uh, create a username, fill in your email, and you'll be good to go with 10 days of free premium access there. Anything else? No, I'm, I'm wiped out. I'm about to, I'm about to pass out. <laughs> I, was say, I, don't, I want to make sure your head's not slamming on the desk here before we wrap up. But thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week. 